Welcome to Pop Culture Federation. On tonight's episode of Panels to Frames, The Adventures of Captain Marvel! Everything has to start somewhere, and it just so happens that superhero films as we know them start here. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Panels to Frames. Today, we shall be exploring the 1941 12-part film serial, the Adventures of Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel was the very first comic book superhero to make his way onto the big screen, and was created in 1939 by Bill Parker and C.C. Beck for Fawcett Comics under the Wiz Comics banner. Captain Marvel, or as many know him today, Shazam, was popular right out of the gate. Young audiences could immediately connect with Billy Batson, the 12-year-old boy who was given the power by the wizard Shazam, to turn into Captain Marvel just by saying, Shazam! This allowed young readers to experience wish fulfillment, with Billy not only being able to transform into an adult, but someone who is super strong, super fast, and on the beam. Uh, that's a 1940s slang for cool. Shazam! Although he wasn't originally planned to be the first superhero to make it onto the silver screen. Originally Republic, the film company making the serial, wanted to option National Allied Publications Superman for this title. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. But alas, the rights to the character were tied up at another film studio making Superman cartoons at the time. Although frustrating to Republic, they sought the hero from National Allied Publications competitor, Fawcett Comics, Captain Marvel. He not only had similar powers to Superman, but he was a more popular character at the time. Outselling the Man of Steel's comics, a trend that continued almost into the 1950s. Nonsense. We'll be seeing ghosts next. Let's get to work. And it should be noted that the rivalry between Fawcett Comics and National Allied Publications was one of the bigger rivalries of the time, as the DC and Marvel rivalry wasn't around because at the time those two companies simply didn't exist, at least in the current form that we know them. In a few years, through different mergers and changing of names, National Allied Publications would become DC. Shazam! The Adventures of Captain Marvel was a movie serial rather than a traditional film. Serials worked much like television shows before reruns in DVR. A film serial would be shown at a movie theater in parts, and if you missed a part, you missed some of the story, which gave incentive to all audiences to make their way to the cinema each week to catch the serial. At the time, if you missed one part, the story might be lost on you, and there was little chance of seeing it for several years until it was re-released, if ever. The serial was made on a budget of just over $145,000, an average budget for a film serial but meager compared to other action movies of the time. For reference, one of the more popular serials during that era, the 1936 serial Flash Gordon, was made on a budget of $350,000, or just under $6.5 million today. The $145,000 Captain Marvel was made for, adjusted for inflation for 2019, would be just over $2.5 million. There appears to be no data on the amount of money that the serial made, which could be attributed to the fact that it was shown with other serials over a few weeks' time, so keeping records on a consistent basis might have been difficult. 
The Adventures of Captain Marvel was shot in just over one month's time, from late December 1940 until the end of January 1941, and some of the opening military scenes were reused footage from the 1938 film Storm Over Bengal. Although Captain Marvel seemed to be breaking new ground and introducing a new genre of film, Republic seemed to be almost ignorant to this precedent, focusing on making another serial rather than the history it was making. After all, adapting books and other media into movies was prevalent even in the film industry's infancy, and Captain Marvel was just another film serial that Republic was churning out, being number 21 of 66 that the studio had produced and released in a span of just a few years. This was also the golden age of film serials, between the 1920s and 50s, with Republic seemingly in an arms race with Universal and Columbia to release the most film serials, with all three companies producing dozens if not hundreds during that period. The story was broken up into 12 chapters, with most of them running about 16 minutes, but the first being about a half an hour, and the story, basically, is a little something like this. Whilst on expedition in Siam, Billy Batson and his fellow explorers try to find the secret of the Scorpion Kingdom, a powerful device called the Golden Scorpion, which can destroy anything that stands in the way of its beam when the quartz lenses are aligned. By a stroke of luck while looking in the crypt, Billy meets the mysterious wizard Shazam, who grants him the power of Captain Marvel, coming through the combination of the Wisdom of Solomon, the Strength of Hercules, Stamina of Atlas, power of Zeus, courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury, and can gain those powers whenever he utters the word Shazam. After the group collects the artifact, they divide the lenses among themselves and head back to America, but the masked deviant, the Scorpion, follows them, seeking to obtain all of the quartz lenses and use the power of the golden scorpion for himself. Although Billy and Captain Marvel try to protect their friends through various mishaps and adventures, the Scorpion kills a few of the men who hold the lenses, and Billy begins to suspect that they might have a traitor in their midst. Once Billy and the remaining team, including friends Betty Wallace and Whitey Murphy, figure out they must go back to Siam to complete the quest, they find that... spoilers. Indeed, the Scorpion was a member of the original expedition who had been deceiving them. Through an exciting climax filled with action and suspense, Captain Marvel, Billy, and his friends triumph in their battle against the evil Scorpion, destroying the Golden Scorpion, and with the threat obliterated, Billy is freed of his powers as Captain Marvel, with the threat gone for good. Overall, it was met with very positive reviews, with some modern critics even calling it one of the greatest serials ever produced. But with that said, watching the serial now might be a tough affair for some audiences. With its pacing and seemingly hammy script, it's hard to imagine anyone but diehards finding much entertainment value in the relic of a bygone era. One of the more surprising things about the movie is its length, uh, about 178 minutes, or in simpler terms, uh, just a couple minutes shorter than Avengers Endgame. This was actually typical for film serials, and when you think of it in terms of a TV series rather than the classic format of a movie, it does make sense. Like many films of the era, it was shot much like a stage play, with the actors positioned to stand and deliver their lines with few instances of the camera moving with the action, instead mostly being used for wide shots to show the entirety of the setting, much different than its modern companions. But this was true of most of the films of the era, and watching the film through the eyes of a modern moviegoer is a far different experience than what was originally intended for audiences at the time to take away from the movie. 
For some perspective, Citizen Kane, the movie for which most critics agree the modern filmmaking techniques were originated, wouldn't be released until later that year. The film did set trends for many superhero movies to come, such as changing the origin of the hero in question drastically, casting an older actor to play a much younger one, and adding in new characters to adapt the comic book for the screen. Frank Coughlin Jr., who portrays Billy, was 25 at the time when the serials were being released. Conversely, in the comics, Billy Batson was half that age, being a 12-year-old school kid. In the film serial, Batson was a member of the archaeological expedition team, a far cry from being a young schoolboy. It also set an eerily recognizable standard that is still prevalent today. Actor Tom Tyler was criticized when he was cast as Captain Marvel for not looking enough like the comic book character he was portraying. Some even said that he didn't resemble the, quote, beefy, baby-faced Captain Marvel. Throughout comic book history, and even in the modern day, this trend continues. In addition, the Scorpion wasn't a villain from the comics. He was an original creation for the movie serial. But several characters from the serial made the jump from screen to page, most notably Whitey Murphy, Betty Wallace, and one of the members of the expedition team, John Malcolm. What happened? And unlike its modern counterparts, the ending resolves itself rather quickly, and Captain Marvel loses his powers at the end, basically shutting the door on sequels. Unlike today's franchise mindset, a lot of serials were one-offs and very few got sequels, most notably Flash Gordon and the Green Hornet. Although the movie did get a sequel in comic book form later in 1941 called The Return of the Scorpion. And somewhat of a juxtaposition comes from comparing this movie to its modern counterpart. In this version, Billy Batson is the one who jokes around just a bit more than his serious counterpart Captain Marvel in the 2019 film Shazam, Billy is the one who is serious, while Shazam is the goofy one. Certain elements of the film weren't, by today's standards, very politically correct, with white men playing characters of foreign descent and the like, something you would rarely see, if ever, in a modern film. But this can be attributed to the era in which it was made, with other companies famously turning races and cultures into caricatures. Although Captain Marvel does don his classic costume from the serial, it actually wasn't red and yellow in real life. In fact, it was gold and gray so that way the colors could pop more in black and white. It did appear in a couple other TV shows and movies, and it now resides in the Science Fiction Museum and Hall of Fame in Seattle. One thing that the film should be praised for, even almost 80 years gone by after its release, is its use of special effects. The effects hold up to a certain extent, but are even more of a marvel for a film during the golden age of cinema made on a relatively low budget. The dummy that they used for the flying sequences was in fact a 7 foot tall, 15 pound paper mache lookalike bound to wires, and it actually looked more like the comic book interpretation of Captain Marvel rather than the actor actually playing him, Tom Tyler. They achieved this effect by having Tyler jump into his flight, then cutting to the dummy flying through the air, but close-ups did use shots of Tyler in flight. As for the cast and crew, not many experienced incredible amounts of fame, but some did have careers before and after the serial. Probably the most famous actor of everyone involved in the production was Bryant Washburn, who starred in the smash hit silent film comedy Skinner's Baby almost a quarter century earlier. Frank Coughlin Jr. went on to serve in the military the year after the film was released and up until 1965. He was a very busy child actor, appearing in the R Gang, aka Little Rascal movies, and even worked for the infamous director C.C. DeMille. 
As he grew older, Coughlin would joyfully recount his time as Billy Batson, but later admitted that he had no idea who or what Captain Marvel was when he took the role. In an interview, he recalled he bought a comic of Captain Marvel, and after his audition, he thought, hey, I kind of do look like that kid, referring to Batson. Coughlin lived to the age of 93 and passed in 2009. One of the directors, John English, would go on to work with the man who played Captain Marvel, Tom Tyler, on various films the next year, most notably for the Three Mosquitoes franchise. Tyler was a weightlifting champion years before becoming Captain Marvel, making his way into Hollywood in 1924. He appeared in numerous films and TV shows until his death in 1954 from heart failure at the age of 50. Billy Benedict, who portrayed Whitey, left his home in Oklahoma at a young age to pursue a career in Hollywood. He appeared in approximately 100 films between 1935 and 1950, mostly as a member of the Bowery Boys, who, as of today, technically have the longest-running feature film series in America cinema, with 48. Benedict passed in 1999 at 82 due to complications from heart surgery. Louise Curie, who played Betty Wallace, would go on to star opposite Bela Lugosi in The Voodoo Man in 1944, and appeared in a documentary chronicling his life and work. She also had two notable roles that were both technically uncredited, first in the Green Hornet serial and in Citizen Kane, before leaving Hollywood in 1951. Curie was actually the last surviving member of the cast, passing in 2013 at the age of 100. Also of note, another one of the actors, John Davidson, would go on to star in another one of the very early comic book superhero movies, Captain America, in 1944. What mustn't be forgotten is at the time of this recording, the film serial is about 80 years old. The cast and crew seemed to do the best that they could with the script and limitations of filmmaking at the time, but holding it to the standards of a modern superhero film is simply unfair. In my opinion, even for something that is 80 years old, some of the action is still quite exciting and it's genuinely fun and interesting to see the origins of a genre and the beginning of how far we've come. There's little evidence to show that the production company, cast, or crew knew just exactly what they were starting and how could they. Comics were usually relegated to schoolyards and bookstands, not being talked about or evaluated as major cinema. Shazam! The Adventures of Captain Marvel would be the last live-action iteration of the character to appear in a movie for over 78 years, being seen in that time mostly on a television show in the 1970s that lasted three seasons, and in various cartoons, most notably in Justice League Unlimited. In that time between his appearances on screen, Captain Marvel fell out of popularity, lost the trademark to his iconic name, forcing him to become Shazam, changed companies, and suddenly had to compete against someone using his own name at a different comic book company. It is quite the surprise to many that Captain Marvel, or now Shazam, has returned to mainstream popularity. Few characters have come back from such devastating lows to earn a place back in the lexicon, and it'll be interesting to see where the character goes from this point on, and whether he falls back into the doldrums of pop culture, or whether he can keep the power of Shazam. The Adventures of Captain Marvel might have been the first comic book translated to the big screen, but it wouldn't be the last. In fact, things were just getting started. Thank you for watching the first episode of Panels to Frames, and we hope that you'll join us for the next. On the next episode of Panels to Frames, Spy Smasher!